Shabbat shalom. You ever feel overwhelmed by details? You ever feel that the real you is buried under mountains of routine that if you only had fewer chores, fewer responsibilities, less stuff to do during the day, if you only had more time to spend on yourself that your true character could emerge? Do you ever feel that the structure of our lives actually enslaves us rather than liberates us, that the superstructure distorts and corrupts the real me? I could be such a deep thinker if I actually had time to think deeply. I could be such a great attorney if I actually had time to practice law. I could be such a learned rabbi if I actually had time to learn. I could be such a great parent if I actually had time to spend with my children. I could be so free if only I wasn't so enslaved by the very things that supposedly liberate me. I could be a masterpiece if the canvas of my life wasn't so cluttered. The Parsha of the Week, Vayakhel, raises this dilemma. After seven chapters of detailed instructions on how to build the tabernacle, the Israelites finally get around to actually building the tabernacle. This week, we read the first three of six chapters describing the actual construction in mind-numbing detail repeating much of the stuff that we already read. If you want to know precisely where to put the clasps and the planks, the bars, the poles and the sockets, what types of lamps, what oil is used for lighting and what for burning, how to carve the wood, how to design the precious stones, what are the measurements of the cloths and how to loop the cloths with the copper clasps to keep the tent up? How much ram skin and dolphin skin should be used in the tent coverings? What colors should be included in the sanctuary? How to make the curtains and the lampstands and the sockets that hold the curtains? If you want to know all these things, this is your Parsha. In the seminary, there weren't many students who could keep all the details straight. Hammers and nails and wood and cutting and sawing. If we were good at that stuff, we wouldn't have ended up in rabbinical school in the first place. <laughs> many of us didn't even understand what these words meant in English, let alone in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew. Most of the male students I met in rabbinical school didn't like building things. And we all grew up thinking that something was wrong with us. When we finally met each other in school, in the seminary, it was a great release. At this time of year, we would all gather around and read these Exodus chapters, toasting our sibling 
doctors and scientists and engineers, and for the first time in our lives, we felt normal. We were with people who were just like us, who would much rather hire someone to build something than to build it themselves. 13 of 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, the book of freedom, is about construction. I hate construction. I hate it here in our synagogue. You know, we have a very old building. It's falling apart. Actually, not anymore. But we're always constructing something. I hate construction in our synagogue. I hate it at home. I hate it on the streets of our city that is increasingly like one big island of perpetual construction. I can't get away from construction, even in studying the Torah. The purpose of the Parsha was God, but it describes carpentry. The goal was reflection, but it's about labor. The objective was purity, but the Parsha is about physical effort. The aspiration was of the spirit, but the parsha is about perspiration, the sweat of the brow. The point was life's big picture, but the parsha is about the smallest of the smallest of details. And we learn from this a fundamental lesson. The grandest human accomplishment is the result of the smallest daily decisions. The sublime is the product of the ordinary. Even a masterpiece started as oil on canvas. An eyewitness to Leonardo da Vinci's work on The Last Supper described how the master painted. He would arrive early, climb up on the scaffolding, and begin to work. Sometimes he stayed there from dawn until sunset, never once laying down his brush, forgetting to eat and to drink, painting without a pause. At other times, he would go for two or three or four days without even touching his brush, but spending several hours a day in front of the work, his arms folded, examining and criticizing the figures to himself. I also saw him, said the eyewitness, driven by some sudden urge at midday when the sun was at its height. Leaving the court of Vecchia, where he was working on his marvelous clay horse, to come straight to Santa Maria, without seeking shade, and clamber up onto the scaffolding, pick up a brush, put in one or two strokes, and then go away again. This visual of the great Leonardo working on one of his masterpieces, rushing in from another project in the middle of the day to solve a minor problem that he had been thinking about by painting one stroke or two and then leaving is as fascinating as it is revealing. One of the most sublime of human creations was the result of these tiny brush strokes and microscopic decisions. We are so familiar with 
Da Vinci's final masterpiece, that its perfection seems inevitable to us, but every inch of the canvas was fought over by the great master. He paid attention to the smallest detail. He changed his mind. He sweated, was covered in dust, and struggled every day, contradicting himself and changing his mind over and over again. And this is true for all of us. Every inch of the canvas of our lives are fought over. Unity is achieved through division, harmony through discord, integrity through discrepancy, consistency through contradiction, success through failure, progress through stagnation, wholeness is the result of brokenness. The finished product is a masterpiece because it was fought over. It didn't start as a masterpiece. It's what the Parsha teaches. Even the most sublime idea of all, the knowledge of God, requires nails and rope and wood and stone and oil and metals. We may be creatures meant for God, but to know God requires a human home of clasps and bolts and hinges and canvas. The Mishkan needs a mic. Otherwise, God's teachings wouldn't be heard. The sound system stirs the soul, supplicates the spirit, and supplies the sense of the sublime. Modern-day critics are wrong about religion. Far from being a primitive concept, the God idea is the most advanced idea of all. Religion is the pinnacle of human achievement because it seeks to put the individual in harmony with the life forces of the universe that would otherwise not be sensed. But even the discovery and experience of God requires daily toil. This is what the Bible teaches. The soul begins as potential. It must be elevated by the plain, basic, ordinary stuff of life. The pillars come first and must be sunk deep and then the heights. If you seek serenity, you must be prepared for disruption. Understanding begins in confusion. Bliss comes from agitation. Patience is the result of restlessness. The extraordinary began as ordinary. Ordinary things, one after another, enough of them in the right places on the canvas of our lives may produce a masterpiece. When the tabernacle was finally complete, 
The Bible states, Vayehi beyom kalot Moshe lahakim et hamishkan. And on the day when Moses completed the work of the tabernacle, the literal meaning of the Hebrew word kalot is to complete. But the rabbis comment that the word kalot can also be read as the word for brides, kala, the bride. This led the sages to suggest that the covenant between God and the Jewish people, the actual wedding date, was on the day that the bride, the people of Israel, finished the tabernacle. The relationship was consummated not when Pharaoh decided to let the people go, not when the sea split, not on the day of the revelation at Sinai, not on the day of the conquest of the land. The covenant was sealed on the day that the tabernacle was complete. Because on that day, what began as ordinary became extraordinary. That was the day of the culmination of all of the sweaty work. And when the sweaty work was done, the end product became a masterpiece. Thank you.